people, this is Mordecai Joseph. We continue now in uh, lesson 36 with the subject that we were uh, in the middle of uh, speaking about the concept of the generational, uh, generational uh, basis of marriage. In other words, even though God married Israel Mount Sinai, yet he renewed the covenant, the marriage covenant with their descendants, the second generation. And uh, even though most of them, not all of them, but many of them were in Mount Sinai and then many of them were born for 40 years down the road, who have not been in that marriage and yet they were, so to speak, grafted into that marriage and the second generation after that, again, grafted into that marriage and so forth and so forth until the days of Christ. You see, it's a continuous basis. A lot of people don't understand this concept of marriage that is different than the, the human marriage. And so it's a continuous basis. Some claim, claim, no, that doesn't work that way. And yet God made it very plain. That's the way it works. Every generation of Israel that is born later on, even though they did not, did not stand in Mount Sinai, and we're going to see it exactly what, what uh, Moses will tell us, as he said to the second generation, and I'm not making this covenant of marriage only with you, but all those that will come after you. So it's uh, the marriage of God, and his people is on a continuous basis. So just because when Christ comes, second coming, and he has a marriage supper, it does not mean that the generations after that are not going to be a part of that marriage. Just like it was in the first, so it would be with the second. On a generational basis, they are going to enter into that marriage that is the descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and whomsoever God is going to choose from the nations to be grafted into it. And many people have lost that knowledge and understanding, and they're confused uh, about that. And so, when people read the New Testament about the marriage of the land, they think, well, that's it. And they don't understand the parable about the door being shut. Well, it's being shut before the wicked, not that it's being shut as it's a one-time affair. But just like it was with the first marriage, so it is going to be with the second marriage. In other words, the human concept and the godly concept are not the same. So it should not mix one with, with the other. You know, the analogy, any analogy God gives us only goes that far, and we should not go too far, because then it loses its meaning. And so, we read in uh, Deuteronomy chapter 4 and verse 1, where Moses is telling Israel, second generation, people that have known God, partly because they stood in Mount Sinai, and then people that were born during the, the wilderness, and something very interesting about this generation, not all of them, but at least most of them. In other words, those that were pronounced to be uh, unfit to go into the land, that is in the first year, when they were about to enter into the land, and so they had to wander for 40 years. At that time, apparently, uh, they were not as obedient as they should have been, as I mentioned before that, and the prophets mentioned after that. In the New Testament we see that too. That while in the wilderness, following the tabernacle, being in the camp of Israel, seeing God day and night, eating the manna every day, and the quail, still many of them continued in the ways of Egypt, and had a mixture of truth and error. They knew about the religion of God, and continued in their old customs. And God said, even in the wilderness, you were uh, offering sacrifices to demons. Many people don't realize that, but that's what God himself said. And we shall come to that later on. In several places. He said it directly through Moses, and then he said it through the prophets. And continued later on. And so, here it is. A very ironic situation. But at least it shows you that nothing is new under the heaven and the earth. When Abraham was called out of uh, Ur of the Chaldeans, 
He was uncircumcised, yet by faith. He and his family followed God. And then Abraham was called out of Haran, where God says, I want only you. And so he brought uh, Lot with him, his nephew. And still was uncircumcised. And God, God brings him to the land of Canaan and gives him the promises. And he's still uncircumcised. And it's not until he's 99, you see, that God comes to him and tells him about Isaac. And then when Isaac is born a year later, or nine months later, when he's 100 years, 25 years as an uncircumcised, walking in the faith, yet being the servant of God, then he gets circumcised. You see? But still all along, servant of God. And the covenants and the promises were given to him while in our uncircumcision. And God had a purpose for that, so that all mankind ultimately will become a part of the faith of Abraham. You see? But what some people don't realize because the mix of two things, not having thorough knowledge and understanding of the scriptures, is that just because we become a part of the faith of Abraham for all nations, that does not mean that all nations will become a part of Jacob, his grandson, that entered into a marriage relationship with God. That's a unique situation there. That is not applicable to all nations of the earth. All nations of the earth are not going to be a part of that marriage the few of them that are grafted will be, but the majority will become the children of that marriage. And God is not going to marry his children. He's going to marry the wife, which is Israel. And as it is, we're talking about, uh, in essence, uh, symbolic things, not the real thing that we have in our, between us, men and, uh, men and wives, husbands and wives, that is, and everything that is involved on a physical basis. You see, these are, in essence, a sort of metaphors, and you can carry this analogy only to, to a point. And so that is very important to, to know the difference, that people can become of the faith of Abraham, but that does not mean that God is going to allow them to become a part of the bride. Only the individuals that God will graft from the nations will become a part of the bride, but as for the nations, they will become the children of that marriage of God and his wife that he had punished and cast away and brought back, and washed and cleansed and purged and purified with his own blood, and along with the others, gradually, some of them will be spirit beings when he comes to marry them, but the majority will still be physical beings, which was exactly the same when he came and married uh, and had relationship first with the fathers. They had the spirit in them, but their descendants did it, didn't, or their household. And then when he brought them into Sinai, Moses had the spirit, Aaron had the spirit, then he gave it to the elders, they had the Holy Spirit, but the rest of the nation didn't. The prophets and the men of old, the saints, had the Spirit, but the rest of the nation didn't. And they all of them are part of that marriage, and so it's going to be in the future. A small group will have the Spirit in them, will be spirit beings, and the rest will still be physical, but all a part of the same marriage. And those who do not know the Scriptures get mixed up. And when it comes to the New Testament, that doesn't give you the background because of the magnification of the background, they don't understand that. And many of us don't understand that either, as we should. And so it's important to understand that. And so this generation that was standing now before Moses, with the exception of Caleb, and the exception of uh, Joshua, and maybe, maybe some few that still survived until uh, the last moment, the 40 years, but all of them were supposed to die, with the exception of two. And 
all those that were not a part of the generation that rebelled against God were uncircumcised. You see, that's what God said to Joshua, that before you enter into the land, I'm not going to allow you to go into the land of Israel unless all of you get circumcised. And so you, you have to remove that shame of Egypt. This is what he called it. And he can read it in Joshua in the first uh, few chapters there. Or God commanded him that you, know, you, you go circumcise all the children of Israel and make them wait there you know, until they're all well. Then I'll let them into the land. And that's going to be again in the future the same thing. Now, certain things God will never compromise with. The descendants, physically speaking, of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, and especially those of Jacob, who are going to become a part of the bride, you see, as long as they are physical, if they are spirit beings, that's not an issue. But if they are physical beings, if they are going to enter into the land, they must be circumcised, and we'll come to that later on. We have to know the mind of God instead of the mind of man, and remember always that our ways are not his ways, our thoughts are not his thoughts, our feelings are not his feelings, and if we want to be with him and in him, ours will have to become his, and not his, ours. And so in chapter 4, in verse 1, this is what Moses is telling to the second generation. Now, O Israel, listen. See, didn't say shut your ears, but listen to the statutes and the judgments. And that's what God later on repeated when he came in the flesh. He that has an ear, let him hear. Or in other places say, they don't, they don't believe Moses, how can they believe me? Moses is saying here because he's the man of God. He said, listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe that you may live and go in and possess the land which the eternal God of your fathers is giving you. That's why later on, the end of the book of Malachi, Malachi in Hebrew, my angel, my messenger, for he spoke, that very one, the prophet spoke ever, and about another messenger in chapter 3, Behold, I will send you my messenger, where well, the father is speaking about his son, the, even the angel, he calls him the angel of the covenant, and we were speaking earlier about the angel of the Lord. This time, the one that became Jesus Christ is called the angel of the covenant. The God of Israel came again to his people as the angel of the covenant. What covenant? The one he made with the fathers to confirm it. That's why he came also. And so he said, you listen. And in that book of Malachi, this angel of the covenant, this messenger, this God, this God of Israel, this one who married Israel, said, remember. In other words, listen and remember the Torah, the teachings of my servant Moses which I commanded him. It's not a mosaic law. Moses did not dream out, you know, dream up, you know, these uh, this laws. It's not a mosaic, human, invented. No, I commanded him. And that's why you read in the scriptures again and again and again in the five books of Moses, especially in the four books of Moses, where it says, And the Lord said unto Moses, Tell the children of Israel. And Moses is a good messenger boy, told Israel exactly what God told him. And that's why we should remember that it is from God, and that God, as Paul makes it very plain, is Jesus Christ. A lot of people don't know that. And so this Moses, speaking in the name of God, because remember, God told him, you're going to be to the people like Elohim, instead of Elohim, instead of God. So when you speak, it's just like God is speaking. 
Nobody else who, you know, fills that position of Moses, except the one that he said, a prophet just like you will come. And that was the one that was God himself, who came in the flesh. That is the one that dealt with Israel, not the one that is still in heaven and never came down yet. And he said, you better remember the law of Moses, my servant, that is the teachings of Moses, my servant, and the command which I commanded him in Horeb for all of Israel, and the statutes and judgments. See, some people think, well, the law is only the Ten Commandments. That's ignorance. That's not knowledge. That's misinformation. That's part truth. And we speak, when we speak in the name of God, we should speak the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. With partial knowledge, you can deceive people. And that's what Christ was saying. Many shall come in my name. You know, that shall give them a part truth and then deceive many with the others. And so I said, you better listen to that law of Moses or remember that law and come back to it or else, he said, I'm going to bring utter destruction on the earth. And for that purpose, he said, I'm going to send, you know, he's going to send the two witnesses, you see. He said, I will send you Elijah before the coming of the dreadful day of the Lord. So he's speaking about the third uh, manifestation of somebody in in the spirit of Elijah. John the Baptist was the second manifestation of the first Elijah. And the two witnesses, one of them is going to be the manifestation of the third Elijah. That means somebody coming with the same commission, basically. And he's going to come and tell Israel, you either repent, you know, turn away from your evil deeds and come back to the whole law of God that is applicable nowadays, apart from the ritualistic uh, ceremonies that uh, are related to the temple, or else. And so, Moses is saying, now to the second generation, who are still all uncircumcised, Listen to the statutes and the judgments which I teach you to observe, that you may live and go in and possess the land which the Lord God of your fathers is giving you. And one of the statutes or one of the laws was, get circumcised before you come before God. And that's what God told Joshua. You have all of them circumcised before they come to my land. And that's exactly what they did. Every one of them. No rebellion. Verse 2. You shall not add to the word which I command you, nor take from it. And that's exactly what people have done since that time. And specifically, beginning with 2,000 years ago, with the rabbis, when they've taken over from the priesthood and Levites. And there was a time when it was good that they'd done it, because many of the priests were going astray. But they went over and above and beyond. And you know how people are, from going from one extreme to the other. And in the process, they, 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 they watered down, you know, the law of God and, and hid it, you know, and people couldn't see it anymore because they saw all the others, the do's and the don'ts. And every rabbi invented his own teachings, and to this very day they do it. It has nothing to do with the law of God. They are not inspired by God. God doesn't speak through them. None of them has the Holy Spirit, unless some of them God gave it to them, and who knows? Only God knows who they are. But you're under speaking, as God said. You people, you worship me in vain because you teach what doctrines your commandments, the commandments of men. And it says through the prophet Isaiah, and their fear of me is taught by the precepts of men, not by, by the laws that I gave to Moses. And so to this very day, when, they, when a lot of people, unfortunately, within the Jewish community, when they think that they're studying the Torah, they actually study the writings of their own men, or their own rabbis. And some of it is good. Not everything is bad. A lot of it is good, as a matter of fact. You have to, to, to sift between the wheat and the chaff and not throw the whole thing out. A lot of it is not of God. You see, it's, it's important for those who go through it 
uh, to understand it that way. But he said, you shall not add to the word which I command, and when I command that is God speaking, nor take from it that you may keep the commandments of God. Because you see, when you add yours and diminish from it, you do not keep the commandments of God anymore. You keep your own things. So it says that you may keep the commandments of the Lord your God, which I command you. And that's what God says. Remember the law of Moses, which I commanded unto him for all of Israel. When Moses speaks, I speak. And so verse 3 says, Your eyes have seen what the, what the, what the Eternal did at Baal Peor, uh, for the Lord your God has destroyed from among you all the men who followed Baal of Peor. And that's when Balaam came in. Uh, but you who held fast to the Lord your God, to the Eternal your God, are alive today. In other words, God is not tolerant of those who are disobedient. Sometimes he waits long before he kills them or punishes them. Other times he does it swiftly. Verse 5, Surely I have taught you statutes and judgments, just as the Eternal, my God, commanded me. And he commands us too. Not only to ten, as some people say, the law is a ten. You know, that's a form of deception when you say that. The law is a ten. Yes, the ten are the major ones, the core, but all those that are around it are just as important that's what James says very plainly. You break one of the little ones. You're not talking about one of the ten. There are no little ones in the ten. They're all big. You break one of the little ones. You broke the whole thing. And so he says, God commanded me that, that you should act according to them in the land which you go to possess. Therefore, be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom. This is what makes wisdom. Not Greek philosophy or any other philosophy. This is your wisdom. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. A lot of people who are basically fools in the sight of God call themselves wise and lead people astray, be it in the secular world or the religious world. And their wisdom does not come from the law of God, statutes and commandments of God. But Moses tells them, therefore be careful to observe them, for this is your wisdom and your understanding in the sight of the peoples, that is, all the nations of the earth, who will hear all these statutes and say, this would be the reaction of humanity when they see Israel and the wisdom that comes out of Israel through the law of God, the Torah, statutes, judgments, precepts, testimonies, see all those things that come directly from the mind of God. They would say, surely this great nation, what makes a nation great? Surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people that even all the nations of the earth had the capacity with all their ideology to understand what is wisdom and what is not, what is great and what is not. And that's what he's telling them. They will be able to see that. And they will say in verse 7, For what great nation is there that has God, that is a deity, the real one, so near to it as the eternal our deity, our Elohim, is to us, for whatever reason we may call upon him. No other nation has that relationship. Why? Because Elohim, the deity, Jehovah, the Lord, the Eternal, said, You only have I chosen of all the families of the earth, and that's an eternal statement. And then all the others are going to come to your light, but you will become my bride, my church, my body of witnesses to all mankind, throughout eternity. 
And so, in verse 8, they will continue by saying, And what great nation is there that has such statutes and righteous judgments? So he's not talking only about the ten, but the entirety of the body of law that God gave Israel. The Torah is our in all this Torah which I said before you this day. You see? It makes it very plain. What is it that will bring all nations of the earth to God? The light that will come out of Israel. And that's what Jerusalem is going to be all about in the future when Christ comes, when the Messiah comes, when the God of Israel returns, when the Redeemer returns to Zion. The law, the Torah shall go forth out of Zion and the word of, of, uh, of the Eternal from Jerusalem. Where again all the nations of the earth shall come to Jerusalem to hear, to hear what? To hear the Torah of God, the law of God, the statutes and judgments and precepts and testimonies, truth, wisdom, knowledge and understanding. That's the eternal plan, the mystery of ages. The people don't understand what they would read about when they read in the New Testament. They don't know what it is. Deuteronomy chapter 4, let's continue in verse 25, where Moses is saying to them, Now, speaking about the future, in verse 24 he tells them, For the eternal your God is a consuming fire. You see, later on the Paul, Paul would repeat that statement, Our God is a consuming fire. See, don't mess around with him. He is a jealous God. He does not tolerate any false doctrines. He's not going to tolerate any full church. I claim to be his people when they are not. Verse 25. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form. So it's not if, it's when. He already knew that they would do it. He knew their heart. God knew their heart. Yet that was not the end of the story. When you beget children and grandchildren and have grown old in the land and act corruptly and make a carved image in the form of anything and do evil in the sight of the Lord your God or the eternal your God to provoke him to anger, what? According to the nations, well, God is going to tell you, look, I'm sick and tired of you, I'm going to throw you out, and I'm going to get me another woman, another church. No, that's not God's word. These are lies. Verse 26. I call heaven and earth to witness against you this day that you will soon utterly perish from the land which you cross over the Jordan to possess. You will not prolong your days in it, but will be utterly destroyed. What is talking about? Again, the nations of the earth said, Well, you see, Moses said it about you. God said it about you. God doesn't like you anymore. Now he loves us. Now we are his pet. We're his chosen people. We are the Israel of God. You are not anymore. God threw you out. That's not what he's saying. Continue the story. Verse 27. And the Lord will scatter you among the peoples, and you will be less few in number among the nations, where the Lord will drive you, and there you will serve gods, the work of men's hands, wood and stone, which neither see nor, nor hear nor eat nor smell. And to this very day, that people who call themselves Christians, who bow down to idols, they called him Saint this and Saint that. Children of Israel. Verse 28. That's what he's saying there. Verse 29. But, but, in spite of all that, way down the, you know, the, the history of man, the history of Israel, to this very moment, 
But from there you will seek the eternal, your God, and you will find him because he's always waiting with stretched arms. God never rejected his church, the only one. There is no one else. But from there you will seek the eternal, your God, and you will find him. God is speaking here through Moses. That's what the parable of the prodigal son is all about. You will find him if you seek him with all your heart and with all your soul. And we know that they will, because God said so. Because he's going to bring them to that point when they will. Because he's going to work out his plan, and the work that he began, he will finish. He doesn't do half a job. And so in verse 30, listen carefully. When you are in distress, in tribulation, as it says in the old uh, King James Version. This is the new King James Version. When you are in distress, you know, the trouble of Jacob, Jeremiah 30, and all the other prophets. Daniel speaks about that, chapter 12. The trouble that will be, that has never been before, never will be after. This is what Moses is talking about. So Moses knows it because God is speaking through him. All these thousands of years you are going to be totally away from me, going astray in idol worship, rebellious, corrupt. Nevertheless, I will never leave you nor forget you. As he had done with Egypt. You know, in the days of Egypt, when he brought them out of the land, though they were into total, total idolatry with Egypt. So he says, when you are in tribulation, the time of Jacob's trouble, and all these things come upon you in the latter days, when you turn to the Lord, not if, God is already knowing, and Moses is saying that to them, when, not if, because he knows that they will, because God is going to make them do it. When you turn to the Lord your God and obey his voice, for the Lord your God, verse 31, is a merciful God, he will not forsake you nor destroy you. Now, earlier we read, if you are sinful, you're going to perish. Well, perish physically. But God is going to bring you back out of your grave. God is not limited by the grave. And as for those who are alive at that time, God is going to, to resurrect them from dead works. And put his spirit in them, pour his spirit upon all flesh, so they can be alive. As Paul said, when I was in sin, I was dead. I was dead in my sins, but now I'm alive. Understand what Paul is talking about and all the other apostles. If you don't understand the background, their background, what they grew up on, so they were being saved from the youth, as he told Timothy, Paul, from the youth, you have known the Holy Scriptures. If you don't know the Holy Scriptures from the beginning until the end, you just don't understand what you read in the so-called New Testament. And so you invent your own understanding. But Moses is saying very plainly, and God is speaking here in person through Moses. For the Lord your God is a merciful God. He will not forsake you, nor destroy you, nor forget the covenant of your fathers which he swore to them, even though God rejected them, punished them, died for them, was killed by them. He said, Father, forgive them. Of whom was he speaking? But his own people. For they do not know what they are doing. And God forgives them. And he will. And he will restore them. You see? So God is going to bring them back. He's not going to utterly destroy them. And grave cannot destroy you. That's only temporary going to, you know, going to sleep. Verse 32. 
For ask now concerning the days that are past, which were before you since the day that God created man on the earth, and ask from one end of heaven to the other whether any great thing like this has happened. Never did it happen before. It didn't happen with any of the great patriarchs in time past. But I did, or anything like it has been heard. Did any people ever hear the voice of God speaking, or the voice of Elohim speak out of the midst of the fire, as you have heard, and live? You didn't die. Or did God ever try to go and take for himself? You see, Israel is for himself. All the other nations are children of this marriage. They're not going to replace that marriage. God is not going to have another church. God made it very plain. That people don't have hear, ear to hear. They don't believe Moses. So he says, Or did God ever try to go and take for himself a nation from the midst of another nation by trials, by signs, by wonders, by war, by a mighty hand and an outstretched arm and by great terrors, according to all that the eternal your God did for you in Egypt before your eyes, that is, in spite of your corruption? To you it was shown that you might know that the Eternal Himself is God. He is the real deity. All the others are not. There is none other besides Him. Because He's the only one dealing with you and all the other idols you were worshipping are not. And that's the context. The context is not that there is no one in heaven. The context is that on earth, the only God on earth that is not dealing with you, who is a true God, a true deity, is the one that brought you out of Egypt, while all the other idols you worship are not. And so, Moses understood it, Jacob understood it, the prophets of old understood it, Israel understood it, until the rabbinic age came and they did not understand it anymore, the context in which God, there is no other else, other God beside me. They are speaking in the context of the idol worships, the idol worshippers, and all the idols since he's the only one that was dealing with them in person. And then when he came on, on this earth, he spoke an awful lot about the one that is in heaven, that sent him, who is also Elohim, a deity, but greater than him. All the prophets knew it and, and made it very plain, but people that have no ears, because God blinded many of his people and had no ears to hear, and no eyes to see, and no heart to understand, until God will heal them, well, they are going to continue to walk in that blindness and darkness, and there is nothing in the world he can do to convince them otherwise, because only God can do it. And so there is no need to, unless God commissioned you to do it. And so he says in verse 37, uh, well, actually, in, uh, we are reading, uh, well, we can continue to read a lot here, but there is no need to, to uh, read the whole Bible. It's just what is uh, relevant to the subject. And so, in uh, verse uh, 30 and 31, we, we read that too. And so, we're going to continue now in Deuteronomy chapter 7 and verse 6, where Moses gives us more knowledge and understanding about how God looks at Israel, his own church. In verse, uh, chapter 7 and verse 6, we read, For you are, and again, as I said, we are speaking about a generation that is mostly uncircumcised, Basically, the overwhelming majority of them are uncircumcised, yet at this point, this is what God called them. And you see, the Jews down the road, down the road forgot that, that their forefathers 
that came out of Egypt and entered into the land, all of them, with the exception of Joshua and Caleb, were uncircumcised. And right before they reached the border, God told them, before you cross the Jordan into a holy ground, into the promised land, you better get circumcised first. And so, well, later on, God began to graft, among other nations, people to join the commonwealth of Israel, since they were not under the, the, that specific covenant of the, those who came out of the body of Abraham. God said, well, you don't need to get circumcised, because you're still in the same category of Abraham, who was not circumcised until 25 years later, and you're in the same category of the children of Israel themselves, a whole generation who were not circumcised until they entered into the land. And as for those that he is not grafting, he circumcised them anyway in the heart. But he did not require them, not being descendants, physical descendants of Abraham, to be circumcised also in the flesh. But he commanded that all those who are of the, sin, of the seed of Jacob, of Israel, of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, to continue to be circumcised. So he still continued to make a distinction there. And so Moses is telling them, you are a holy people. To the eternal your God, the Lord, that is the eternal your God, has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples on the face of the earth. And he's speaking, you see, in terms of understanding of the New Testament, of the writings of the disciples of Christ, he's speaking about a generation that is basically uncircumcised. And the apostles had that knowledge in the background. That's why they made that, that specific uh, and wasn't anything new. They were just saying what Moses was saying, in essence, and what God said about Abraham, in essence. There was a period of time when he allowed him to be uncircumcised until he asked him to be. Or if God chooses to do it only spiritually speaking, that's his business. And for the seed of Abraham and Isaac and Jacob, he commanded that they, that they be, even when they receive the Holy Spirit, that they be circumcised. And you can, you're going to see it in the future also. As they enter into the land, God will demand that they get circumcised again. That is a physical seed, but not those who are not. Then he will sanctify by faith, you know, and, and purifying their hearts and uh, circumcising their hearts. They are in different category, even though they are joining the household of Abraham. In verse 6, For you are a holy people to the Lord your God, and the eternal your God has chosen you to be a people for himself, a special treasure above all the peoples of, on the face of the earth. See, a unique relationship. He's not giving it to any others, and even all the nations of the earth will worship God, and I'm ever going to be in that relationship of God with his people, his bride, his wife. And together they're going to be the parents of all the nations of the earth, who will become the children. Verse 7, the Eternal did not set his love on you, nor chose you because you were more in number than any other people, or wiser, or more intelligent, or more righteous, you know, you might add, for you were, he said, the least of all the peoples. But, because the Lord loves you, and because he would keep the oath which he swore to your fathers, the Lord has brought you out with a mighty hand and redeemed you from the house of bondage, from the hand of Pharaoh, king of Egypt. In other words, as I mentioned earlier, the love of God toward us is much greater than his hatred toward sin. Because if his hatred toward sin was greater than his love toward us, we would all be dead. And some people forgot that about the people of God. 
Yes, they have sinned grievously in the sight of God, but since his love is greater toward them, more than his hatred toward their wickedness, he will never reject them nor forsake them, because he loves them. That's what it means, God is love. That means that God doesn't punish us. We have to understand what love means. And because of the oath that he swore to the fathers, and he's not a liar that he's going to change and say, well, I'm sick and tired of all of you. Oh, yes. In a way, you might say, we all feel that sometimes about our own children. You know, we're so sick and tired of all their mischievous behavior that we want to throw them out of the house. But they are still our children. And when we calm down, so to speak, we forget that and we remember only the good moments we had with them. And we still love them. They are still our children. And that's the way God feels about his own people. And for that matter, that's the way he feels about all of humanity. So let's continue now in uh, chapter 28. We will read more about uh, this matter. And you remember the blessings and the curses appear in uh, Leviticus 26. And then also in Deuteronomy 28. Now this is what Moses is tell them, telling them in Deuteronomy 28. And uh, verse 9, we read, it's a long, long chapter, because he's talking about a lot of good and bad. Good, the bad, and the ugly of the people of God. And the chapter in uh, chapter 28, verse 9, this is what we read. Well, this is a repetition of what he said to the first generation that all died in the wilderness. The one that he married in Mount Sinai. God says to Moses, in essence, you repeat that to the second generation. Huh? You know, they're, they're part of my, my wife also. You see, in other words, the marriage is a continuous basis, a continuum. On a generational basis, you enter into that marriage, even though if you, you were not in the original ceremony. It doesn't work like that with men, because that's a different thing. You know, it's only an analogy, it can go only that far with that marriage concept, uh, borrowed from uh, the realm of humanity. But God is different, since He is eternal, it's a continuous marriage. And so it says in, in, to the second generation, that are entering to the same marriage. Verse 9, The Lord will establish you as a holy people to himself, just as he has sworn to you, if you keep the commandments of the Lord your God and walk in all these ways. As he just told them, that this God told Moses to tell Israel, as you read in Exodus 19, verses 5 and 6. And then he says in verse 10, Then all the peoples of the earth shall see that you are called by the name of the eternal. In other words, you are going to be the church of the living God, of the eternal, the church of Jehovah. Some people call themselves Jehovah's Witnesses. Well, you can be a witness of Jehovah. That's his name, not Jehovah. J doesn't mean anything. Jehovah. Uh, that's his name. <clears throat> people, you know, pervert his name and call themselves by a perverted name and thinking that they are calling themselves by the name of uh, the God. So he says, you're going to be called by the name of the Lord, of the Eternal, and they shall be afraid of you. Because God is going to put that fear in them. So, you know, when you think about, people think, well, the, the concept of the Church of God appeared first in the New Testament. Well, if you are ignorant, then you believe it. But if you are knowledgeable, as Peter said, about, you know, the Paul, Apostle Paul, he said, as 
Some of the writings of our beloved, you know, brother Paul, some of those things are difficult to be understood. Yes, difficult to be understood, but by whom? By whom? Peter makes it very plain. By those who are unlearned. Not by those who are learned. Not by those who know the Holy Scripture like Timothy, like all the people of Judah that had known it, and all those who study it. And by the way, an awful lot of Jews know nothing about the Bible because they never read it. So I'm not talking about the whole community. I'm talking about those who believe and practice it and walk in it. But he said, by those who are unlearned, they are the ones who wrestled with it to their own destruction because they have no background, no context. They don't know all the scriptures. They've not been raised on the scriptures. They've been led into many lies, mixture of truth and error. They're all confused. You see? Somebody took the puzzle and threw it at them. And they've got all the pieces now, but they don't know where to put them because they have no pattern to follow. So they invent their own picture. And that's what the religion is all about, the false religion, counterfeit religion. And it's important for us to comprehend that, that we are a part of it, even though we may not realize to what degree we are, as much as we come out of the truth. Still, there is a little bit of old religion in us, and that's what God says, come out of Babylon. And so that's what Moses is telling them. The whole world will know that you are the church of God, and the concept church of God was not invented in so-called the New Testament. That's an old terminology. And you have to understand what the word church is to begin with. And they shall be afraid of you. And uh, I hope you remember, as I, we covered that concept before, what does uh, church mean? You know, Eda in Hebrew, body of witnesses. And so all the whole world will say, well, you are the body of witnesses. You are, you know, in English terminology, you are the church of God. And they shall be afraid of you. And the Lord, the Eternal, will grant you plenty of fruit of goods. Otherwise, you know, in other words, he's going to bless you abundantly because of that, because you are his church. God feeds, you know, his, his wife. I mean, that's not, that's not uh, responsible for a husband to have a wife and not to feed her. And so God feeds his wife. He takes care of his wife. He lavishes abundance of blessings on his wife. You know, he, he cherishes her. And that's why he commanded the man also, just like, you know, the Lord cherishes his body, which is, you know, his, his people, the body of witnesses, the faithful, and so should uh, you husbands take care of your wives, take care of all their needs, you know, physical and emotional, spiritual, psychological, whatever. So that's what he is telling them. So they were and in English, unfortunately, there is a mistranslation here that, uh, that, uh, that hides the meaning. What he tells them, that everybody will know that you are called by the name of the Lord. Uh, you see the terminology of the congregation. Of, of God, but in Hebrew it says that, generally speaking, when you see often the, the, the concept congregation or the name congregation in English of, of God, uh, or the congregation of Israel, uh, in, in this case it's Adat Israel, as many times you see that, that terminology, Adat, that is the body of witnesses of Israel, and that's what he's talking about. So, we have to see it from uh, God's point of view and the terminology that he used, and people get confused when, when they change names. And it's not, in the concept, it's not congregation, but Ada, that means body of witnesses, and that's totally different. And let's go now to uh, chapter 29 and verse 1, where Moses continues to reveal to the second generation, still, mind you, all of them are uncircumcised until uh, Joshua, the one that has the same name of the Savior, and the same analogy there, before you enter into the land, the first Joshua told you, you've got to get circumcised or else, 
And the second Joshua, before we enter into the land, so to speak, is going to tell us to get circumcised or else. Speaking about the physical descendants of the children of Israel, as well as spiritual, that are being grafted, well, God told them, well, you need only to circumcise your heart. So we're not talking about that category. And so we read again in uh, Genesis, uh, I'm sorry, Deuteronomy chapter 29, again speaking to the second generation, all, in one sense you might say, uncircumcised and unconverted, in the sense of the, of the physical, but in their heart they were converted. They had the faith, they believed, that's why they made it into the land. And God told them, I'm going to bring you into the land, unlike their fathers, they believed. And so, all these analogies were later on to be used by the apostles, who were very well familiar with all the scriptures and all these experiences. That's why Paul told the, you know, the people uh, that heard him, that all those things were written for our own admonition, so that we may follow the good example, not the bad ones. And this is a good example, the children of Israel were faithful and obedient and therefore entered into the land. And when God told them, you all circumcised, they did. And when God told them, well, walk into the land, they did. And when God told them, you're going to destroy all the nations, they did. And when God told them, you obey this law and that law, they did. Until the end of the days of Joshua and the elders that lived after him, and then all of them, unfortunately, majority of them went back into idolatry again. But here, he's speaking to them, Moses, and he says in verse 1, chapter 29 of Deuteronomy, or Dvarim in Hebrew, Dvarim means words, because the beginning of the book begins by saying, Ele Hadvarim, these are the words, and so the Hebrew name for it is Dvarim. And verse 1, these are the words of the covenant, you know, the Dvarim, of the covenant which the Lord commanded Moses to make with the children of Israel in the land of Moab, besides the covenant which he made with them in Horeb. In other words, Horeb, by the way, means uh, dry. That's what Horeb means. Uh, in English, you don't get it, Horeb. Uh, Horeb, uh, you know, it was a dry place. You know, there was nothing on it, and yet this is a, uh, the place where God was going to begin life uh, with his people, marriage, and bring many children. So it has a spiritual connotation there. And since we are reaching the end of the tape, we're going to stop at this point. This is Morika Joseph saying greetings to all of God's people. Until next time. The preceding message was taken from the World Wide Website at address www.biblestudy.org. This site is sponsored by Barnabas Ministries. Bible Study. You have questions? The Bible has answers.